This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. Hey, this is Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Blinn, and welcome back to Talking Mule Deer. Hey, yeah, Jody, it's, we've... <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it has. It's been a really busy summer. And, uh, yep. you know, our guest today is an old face, not in age, but uh, someone we've known for a while. And had He's on the show a, a couple face. times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So joining us today is going to be Randy Morrison. Uh, Randy, as you know, was uh, the regional director in California for like 12 years. And he recently switched jobs at MDF and came over to the conservation team and is working as our habitat partnership coordinator out in California in region five of the forest service. Welcome, Randy. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Uh, it has, uh, it's been quite a, an experience since the 1st of April when I began uh, my new position. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun now being able to see and be a part of putting those dollars on the ground that I worked for 12 years to help raise. So it's, pretty interesting and pretty fun seeing the other side of the same coin. Well, we're really happy that you're on that because that's a, it's a lot to juggle in the state and a lot of great things. Tell us a little bit about some of the projects that you're working on and that you've been able to pick up in the last year, last six months since you got started there. Well, we have a number of projects that, that are currently ongoing. Uh, in the Stanislaus National Forest, we've got two currently. Uh, one in the Arnold area, which is a mastication project. It was an 800 acres of mastication in the wildland urban interface. We've completed... Tell us, like, uh, just for people who may not have ever heard of that, what is mastication? What are you doing? Mastication is grinding up and mulching brush and small trees and downed wood, uh, basically cleaning up the forest. It, it's cleaning up both wood on the ground that can be used as fuel in a fire, as well as thinning uh, a lot of the smaller trees that are growing, which helps to open up the canopy to get more light to the ground. It also reduces the fuels uh, to stop catastrophic wildfire, hopefully keep it on the ground instead of having it become a crown fire. And this wildland urban interface is, we're working in areas that are adjacent to private lands, to create fire breaks, uh, to help keep fire out of the private lands and also to help keep some of the deer on the public land by improving the habitat uh, with these projects. Yeah, and this, so the the mastication and clearing out that creates um, a better growing conditions for the, for forbs and grasses and things, which is great forage for those deer, right? That is absolutely correct. Now, Randy, don't you get a really, uh, I know parts of California get some ground cover that can really take over. And you and I were visiting about, uh, you know, dealing with that. Well, explain a little bit, you know, what's going on there and why it's important to get that stuff. Well, as as we've probably talked about in many other podcasts, deer are an early succession habitat species. And that means they thrive after habitat disturbance. And many of the species in California... Uh, much of our, our environment is a, a fire-dependent environment where historically fires have burned reasonably frequently and at reasonably low intensity, and they keep regenerating new growth on the ground. And many of our species, a lot of our ground covers are brush be them ground cover type brush up to brush that gets up to 15, 20 feet high when it is mature and frequent fire or mastication or some means by setting the, the succession of that species back benefits uh, any early succession species such as deer. Uh, it, the new brush grows close to the ground where deer can get at it. It also is of higher nutritional value. Once it gets up very tall, 
Uh, it really isn't much good for them nutritionally. It's it's really only good for cover, and in some place, in some cases, it even impedes their uh, travel. Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen, Randy, um, the few projects I've been out on with you and my experience on the West Coast has been that stuff can really choke out everything and make it tough for not just deer to walk through, but humans to walk through. Oh, and a- anything. And- no, no question about it. Anything larger than a rabbit has a di- has difficulty getting through some of that stuff. It uh, Once it really gets going and gets grown up, uh, nothing can really get through it. And the only greenery on it is 10 or 12 or even 15 feet above the ground. And it's not really much good for anything. Then no sunlight gets to the ground and the ground becomes reasonably sterile. And yet it is incredibly uh, susceptible to high intensity fire. So this is a good example, Jody, of where we take a, a high priority social issue like the wildland urban interface and catastrophic wildfire and destroying homes and protecting, you know, recreational areas and adding the deer benefit to it. So, you know, as Randy described, we're opening up the understory, providing better deer chow, letting water infiltrate better. And it probably would be good, Randy, to see the deer out there. So it could possibly even, you know, folks that are going out there to look at deer or to hunt deer probably are, you know, going to be able to see them a little bit better in this area too. No, no question about that. And, and along that same line, one of the prescriptions that we have within these projects are that we leave islands of untreated brush, typically about a half an acre per every 10 acres that we do, so that deer and other species do have hiding cover and, and bedding cover within those masticated areas. So uh, they're not completely exposed if they're out in the middle of it. So it, it's, it's both to help benefit them uh, from a, a, a hiding standpoint, uh, just from other predators, but from us as well. So, uh, well, and that continues to replicate natural disturbances where it was a low level fire system that would, or wind or storm that would take down areas where, where it would open up areas uh, to allow the sunlight to get in, to clear out some of that brush, but it didn't burn so intensely uh, that it turned it into sticks on the ground. And often those low intensity fires would also, they, they jump and they create little islands of habitat that, that haven't been burned amidst that. Again, these higher intensity burns that are happening now just full on go across the landscape torch everything as meth and kill everything as fast, including some of those trees. A lot of those old pines are all fire, you know, that they, they grew with the fire system. Mm-hmm. If it's too hot though, and gets up into the crown, it kills them. Correct. So Randy, um, I know that you've been rocking and rolling on this one. What's the extent, what's the size of the project and, you know, uh, how are folks re- reacting to it? Well, the, the size of this project started at 800 acres. We have completed about 700 acres of it. We have also just recently added 400 acres to this project and another 185 acres just up the road in a project that we're calling Prather Medusa uh, that we were lucky enough uh, to uh, get a NIFWIF grant to help us complete. And That's the, the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. I just want to make sure people know what NIFWIF is, National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. Correct. And the the Stanislaus National Forest uh, it wants to add another quarter of a million dollars to this uh, supplemental project agreement to do some more acres. So hopefully we will be doing probably another 250 or so acres on top of this. So this is going to end up being about a 17, 1800 acre project which is substantial. That is, that's landscape scale. That can actually make a difference uh, to a lot of deer as well as uh, create some really good fire breaks uh, by uh, reducing the fuel loads in, in some of those critical areas. That's really, that's just one project that is that is uh that we're currently uh, working on we just completed a project hold on a second randy before you get into those other ones we do need to take a break to hear from our supporters so i'm going to cut you off there but i I was going to ask you because i know that's only one of the projects that we're working on so when we come back why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of these other projects elk sheep big old muleys not a problem for the 27 nosler we packed it with more downrange punch than the 300 Win Mag. 
We designed it to be flatter shooting than the 6.5 PRC. The 27 Nosler is everything you've heard, all that you've asked for, and plenty more. So enough talking. Check out the numbers for yourself and see what makes the 27 Nosler such a beast at Nosler.com. For the cold, heat, and rough terrain, Zeiss Optics are built to meet the wilderness and the elements up close. And mule deer hunters are going to love what they see. Zeiss has redesigned its entire product line and now includes lightweight precision rifle scopes, binoculars, rangefinders, and spotting scopes that the western hunter demands. The industry-leading V4 scopes feature 14 new reticle options and scope configurations, while the V6 premium rifle scopes with shot FL glass lead the market in optics and repeatability. The Victory RF rangefinding binocular is the ultimate tool for glassing and ranging, while the Gavia 85 is the leader in premium packable lightweight spotting scopes. Zeiss Optics, delivering peak performance in even the most demanding conditions. All right, we're back. And, and Randy, you had just finished telling us about the project you're doing in the Stanislaus uh, uh, National Forest near Arnold. And we're also about to get into telling us about some other projects that you have around the state of California. So let us know what's going on. Well, in the Lassen National Forest, just north of Lassen National Park, we just completed a project called Manzanita Shoots. And uh, interestingly enough, why that it's called that is it was a huge manzanita patch that around the turn of the 20th century, Basque sheep herders would um, bring their sheep into and out of the mountains and use this natural funnel that was a manzanita patch in between a big forest. And they were counting their sheep on the way out and counting them on the way back in every summer, uh, which is how it got its name. So hmm. it was a an immense manzanita field that went for several miles and several miles long, several miles wide. And we have been doing mastication in in this uh, uh, in this manzanita field, and it has been uh, quite an interesting project. Uh, Steve came out this summer and toured that project with me. Uh, we finished uh, 800 acres of it last year and then completed the project this summer by doing another 320 acres. So we're now done with that project and it has really made an incredible difference. And the amount of, of deer traffic in there since we masticated it, it was just incredible. Uh, there's, uh, it was hard to find deer tracks anywhere around there. We masticated all that ground and now there are you see deer everywhere in it, feeding in it, and there's tracks literally everywhere. Uh, so it's uh, cool. it's pretty uh, makes you feel good to go out and see that that our hard earned dollars and all of our work is is paying off. And in the Eldorado, yeah, Jody, National it's pretty Forest, dramatic. Um, uh, sorry, Randy, but oh, quite all right. See, seeing it in action, um, you know that the contractor you had out there for that did a quality job, excellent job. Uh, seeing the small machine and then the larger machine and seeing the result and talking to them, um, you know, it, it was really an immediate effect. Oftentimes in, in conservation things, you don't see the benefit of for a long time, but I think you were seeing this almost on a daily basis and, you know, being able to do larger areas like this, we're able to bring that cost per acre down by providing, you know, an economy of scale to the contractors and doing it enough, on a large enough scale for the deer, you, you know, a thousand acres for a deer is not that big of an area. But if you're only, yeah, if you're only doing five to 10 acres, it's not going to make much of a difference for those herds there. So you have to do it in the scale of this to make more of an impact on the landscape to allow their, their feeding and their movement to continue in the way that they need to do. Well, and as Randy described, you know, the geologic feature of this of way this manzanita patch fell between some some rock formations and some geology it's not just the sheep that we're using it as a passage the the other the other wild game we're using it too so it really does you know benefit and and looks at those areas from a strategic standpoint on where we can help deer the most um you well, know it's Funny, you described this shoot and the, 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 the sheep herders used to count the sheep. That suggests that they could see through all of the brush to be able to do that, to be able to count them, right? So I'm assuming that's the point is that it was so dense that, that nothing could move through there anymore. Well, it, that's absolutely the case. In fact, we, we, one of our contractors used a, a, a machine called a tiger cat. 
and the roof of the tiger cat is actually 14 feet above the ground, the top of the roof. And there we have several pictures of that tiger cat masticating brush that is taller than the machine on both sides. Whoa. So you can imagine how thick and, and, and how uh, just unmanageable all of that brush was. And as you just mentioned, you're absolutely right. That manzanita patch, if you will, uh, burned pretty regularly, probably every 10 years or so. Now it's been 50 or 60 years since it burned. And if a fire came through there today, like it is happening all around California, if a fire came through there today, or not today, but prior to us masticating it, there would be nothing left, nothing at all. And it might take 30 years for it to become even uh, marginal habitat again. So these projects are just incredibly important. And the more of this kind of work that we can do, uh, th this is the way that we are, are hopefully going to get out of the position that we put ourselves in by trying to suppress every fire in the state for the last 50 years. And unfortunately, we are paying the piper now for it as we have uh, gotten into, uh, again, probably the third worst fire season in our history. Uh, and it's not even fire season yet. Uh, last year was the worst in our history of the state. The year before that was the second worst. And right now, this is the third worst. And quite frankly, it'll probably end up being. And it's only worst. just begun. It's only just begun. So these are, these kinds of projects are incredibly important. And uh, it, it's a uh, basically a fuels reduction project. That's where most of the funding comes from to try and put some brakes to stop these catastrophic wildfires but the byproduct of creating really terrific habitat for our black-tailed deer and our mule deer, uh, it's, it's undeniable. And as Steve was saying, you can literally see it on a daily basis. Yeah, Jody, one of the other things I noticed is Randy's done an excellent job of developing a rapport with our contractors. You know, they bid this stuff out. They sort of know what it is. You know, we're a conservation group. We're not looking at this as just as a, uh, you know, like the Forest Service would just trying to accomplish, we are trying to increase deer habitat. So, you know, Randy worked with this specific contractor and basically described to him what we were doing, um, how we were trying to do it, and actually gave him a little bit of biology conservation lesson on why, you know, the approach MDF wanted to use. And having talked to that contractor, they get it, they're hunters. Um, these guys are, you know, big deer hunters. And they actually took it upon themselves to build a little bit of flexibility and adaptability and coordination with Randy and our forest service partners based on how that, how they, what they were seeing on a daily basis and how they know, you know, how deer use an area. So they actually, you know, could, could look at it and say that we need bedding or hiding cover over here and maybe, you know, a little bit more clearing over here. And, and it worked out really well and we're able to go back in, after the fact and, and do, you know, map out what was actually done so that we're accurate in our accounting and, and, you know, project responsibilities. And I, and I thought that, you know, having contractors like that, people that understand why we're doing this and that are, you know, deer enthusiasts themselves really makes a world of difference. And Randy, tell you what, he found a great contractor out there. Well, and I think what I wanted to, to make sure I, I pointed out here is that when, when we're doing a project like this, a lot of people might think it's like you're just blanket clearing everything out. But that's absolutely not the way it goes. I mean, like you said, you're leaving islands or you're leaving some of the larger trees. And I think um, it, it's 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 important to visualize that, that it, again, it's creating this system where you're, you're looking at the entire landscape as deer or other wildlife might use it. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Randy, the most recent issue of the magazine had the California State Spotlight, and it, this is the project, uh, one of the projects you talk about, right? So there's yes, actually is. is there is there is there are some pictures of this project in that magazine. So uh, it, it, if, if people want to look at that, and you have the magazine, I'd encourage you to take a look at those pictures because it is pretty impressive to see how a project of of this looks. It's it, we can talk about it, but until you can visualize it. Um, it, it is it is neat to see the difference on the landscape. Yes, what we want to do is return this to a natural-looking forest. Uh, it, it's just a thinner forest in some areas, but but it's certainly not going in and 
and mowing it like mowing a lawn. There's areas where big clumps of trees are left. Any live trees that are over a certain size are left. Trees that are of a smaller size, uh, up to 10 inches, for example, we're, we're thinning them down to a particular spacing. And then in some areas, we're leaving everything, including the brush, um, intact so that they've got these islands. Uh, hardwoods, oak trees, we don't take oak trees in a mastication project unless we absolutely have to. Uh, oak trees are very important trees. Uh, Mast. They, exactly. Acre. They benefit many, many, many different uh, species of wildlife. Those are incredibly important trees to the Forest Service, to us as conservationists, to to all. And and those kind of uh, of trees are most definitely kept uh, intact. Cool. Well, we have reached another point where we need to take a break to hear from our supporters, but you're you're doing a great job going through some of your certain projects here, and I'm pretty sure that there are a few others that you uh, have on your slate that you want to tell us about. So when we come back, we'll come back around and, and talk about a few of the other projects you want to spotlight. I'm Anthony Imperato, president of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from, made in America or not made at all, and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Go to HenryUSA.com and order our free catalog, decals, and a list of dealers in your area. That's HenryUSA.com. Thank you, and God bless America. The best hunting stories begin long before the harvest. They begin with the hard work of conservation groups like the Mule Deer Foundation, working tirelessly to protect our hunting traditions. As a proud partner of MDF, Vortex Optics is dedicated to improving your experience in the field by offering you rugged, innovative optics and apparel backed by our VIP warranty, our unlimited lifetime promise to take care of you whenever you need us. Together, let's ensure mule deer always have a place to roam. The best hunting stories are yet to be told. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. All right, we are back, and we just were hearing about the Manzanita Shoots project that you've been doing up near the Lassa National, or in the Lassa National Forest. Tell us a few other projects that you've got going on, and and tell us what you're doing and making a difference with. You bet. Um, Speaking of mastication, as we have been, I won't go into much detail other than to say, or much more detail, uh, that we've got a project in the El Dorado National Forest east of Georgetown uh, that we just began with this same contractor, uh, two weeks ago, he he moved down from Lassen County, he bid this job, and uh, we awarded it to him. And he is starting another 400 acres of mastication with a very similar prescription down on the El Dorado National Forest. Um, and we're uh, looking forward to uh, seeing how that turns out. I'm actually going down on Wednesday to do a, a site visit and a project inspection. And I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing how things are going down there. Uh, on this same project. Now, now Randy, if yes. I may jump in right sure. there, um, Jody, we've talked in the past about how these stewardship and result contracting agreements work and, you know, whether it's uh, products for services, payment for services, or combination of both. Um, the Eldorado agreement that Randy's talking about is actually a combination project. We're doing some mastication up front, but there are subsequent projects associated with this agreement that will use forest products, uh, either biomass or saw timber that will then provide the income to MDF to turn around and pay for the service work and pay for the other work that we want to see get done for the deer. And, and it isn't all just, you know, the forest service giving us funding. They, they are using product value in a very strategic sense to help them offset the, the, the real, the real world costs, which are expensive of forestry work. So I just wanted to mention that because it, it often seems like these, these contracts are cut and dry. They, they can be complex instruments and, you know, we are instituting and have been instituting for a while now, uh, better tracking, uh, better accountability and, and ultimately hopefully some better monitoring to determine the effectiveness of these type of projects. You know, oftentimes we've heard, well, you're just another, you know, logging group or you're just, a, you know, out there trying to collect as much money as you can. And we're, and we're really not doing that. What we are trying to do is is use the, the, the contract vehicles that are available to us, the funding vehicles 
and also bring our partner money and our own money to the table so that we can have skin in the game and we can meet that 20 to 25% match and actually, you know, work in true partnership. But, you know, oftentimes it, it's not well understood how these things work. And I just wanted to point out that, you know, going to this El Dorado agreement, there will be uh, payment for services and goods for services as part of it. Yeah, that's, I think that's an interesting point. And it's something that a lot of people, you know, there, there's there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes before you can even get a project on the ground um, and, and getting the partnerships in place and, and putting together those agreements is a really key port, part of that. And it's also something that, Randy, that you're going to be very involved in as well are these specifics of these types of agreements, right? Absolutely. And and many of these take a, sometimes from the time that the, the original conversations are had until a machine gets out on the ground or a saw cuts down one tree, it might be two years and, and much, much, much work in between that two years to get it to the point to make it happen. And then many of these agreements will have projects that go on for two or three years once we get started. So it is it is a big picture, long-term process. It's, it's not a, uh, um, you know, it's not a quick in and out and it, it's not designed to be. So it's something that we're looking right now, we're looking at uh, implementing the projects that were created a couple of years ago. And at the same time, looking forward a couple of years to what's next on tap to, to make sure that we keep the continuity of our, of our projects going and, and keep getting uh, as much work done on the ground as is possible. So Randy, before I cut you off, you were going to talk, we talked about mastication. What are the other aspects of the type of project work that you're doing? Well, uh, there's, there's really two other types that, that we're involved in right now. One of them is biomass removal, uh, both for fuels reduction and also for site preparation for uh, replanting of, of evergreens and of hardwoods. Uh, and biomass removal basically means the removal of non-merchantable uh, wood products off of the forest. So if the if it's not saw timber that can go to a mill, uh, it it it's considered biomass. And there so are, that would be like a pre-commercial thin. A pre-commercial thin, absolutely, could be a post-fire. Um, snag removal. It could be a a, a post storm event uh, removal of down timber of small non merchantable trees. It, it's it's the gamut. It could be many many things. Just basically anything that's non merchantable, and then that is is normally used is chips for either biofuel plants or for uh, shavings or wood chips or to amend soil or, or whatever other uses we can come up with. And that, I wanted to point that out. You say non-merchantable, what you're meaning is not, you can't use it for timber. You can't use Correct. it for, for logs, but this is going for a purpose for biofuels or for wood chips or some other products as well. It It, it is getting used as a product as opposed to the, the mastication where you're just kind of grinding them up and leaving those chips on the, the ground, right? Correct. Correct. Basically, and that does generate income, Jody. I mean, we can say biomass isn't a large income provider, but it, it, we can sell that to a biomass facility uh, and generate income, which by law then has to be reinvested back into the agreement for the service work, the stewardship work that we're doing. And so it is another way that uh, A, the product is used. We're just not leaving it around, but B, then, you know, we're, we're creating funding opportunities to do even more work. Cool. Okay. So we've talked about mastication. We've talked about biomass. Um, are you doing some other uh, timber removal type projects? We, we definitely are. We're, we're currently do not have an active uh, timber sale going on, but we have three of them, uh, one in the Lassen and two in the El Dorado that are on the drawing board stage. They're, they're, well, they're closer than that. They just haven't gone out to bid yet to a contractor, and and all three of those most likely are going to begin next field season, next spring or early next summer, is when we will likely uh, be actually in actively logging those. Um, there's there's a lot of other types of projects that we do. We we're not currently involved in any other ones, but. Uh, 
anything that has to do, especially given that we are in uh, the worst drought that we have ever been in, in our recorded history in California, anything that might have to do with uh, getting more water out into uh, the wildlands is, is important uh, from wet meadow restorations to juniper reduction uh, in the sagebrush steppe ecosystems to even wildlife guzzlers if, if water is a limiting factor. Those are all really important projects that we're looking at to uh, implement hopefully next field season. Yeah, the arid west. We've got to we got to do what we can, and this year and many years leading up to this have have led to uh, this some of these drought conditions and those rest riparian projects, the wet meadows, um, juniper removal, where those that sucks up more of the water from the the ground. Um, the, those all go a long way to making sure water stays in these native systems as long as possible. Well, and, and, and really. One of the things Randy's been really good about is reaching out to uh, our counterparts at the Cal Fishing Game um, and talking to them. And, and as you know, Jody, from the work that you've done with us and with us in the past, you know, getting the opinion of the people that actually are managing deer and having them tell us where our resources would be best spent on where those herds that need help are located, what lance work needs to be done in individual landscapes. And, you know, Randy's been part of that through his involvement with MDF, but his lifelong uh, career is an outdoorsman in California. So it's been, you know, him being able to uh, reach out to those partners and ask for advice has been great. And, and Randy actually is, is Randy, help me out here. You're chair of the big game, big game management account committee. We are a, an oversight committee made up of representatives of conservation organizations to uh, advise and oversee uh, the big game tag account in the state of California. Any money that is generated as a result of the sale of big game tags goes into a, an account that where the money must be spent on big game projects or big game programs. And uh, I'm the chairman of a committee that is uh, that oversight committee uh, to the state Department of Fish and Wildlife. Let me let me clarify so I can understand as well. Is this are these kind of um, special tag drawings, the sales from those that goes in this, or is this all big game tags go all into that them. account? All okay, of so them. that's different than some of the Western states where they have some of these programs that come from specialty tags. This is this has got to be a bit broader. It is. This is this is from your general season deer tag to a general pig tag, right on up to our our open zone tags and and golden opportunity tags that are our auction tags. They it all goes into one account. Uh, prior to uh, there was some legislation about ten years ago that was introduced that MDF was a co sponsor of uh, to force that money to stay in the big game program because it was being uh, utilized for wherever the Department of Fish and Wildlife felt it necessary to utilize it. And some legislation was introduced and passed that forces the state to use those funds uh, exclusively for big game. So that's where this uh, Big Mac, as we call it, um, uh, committee was formed, and uh, I've been on do, the committee. Do you eat Big Macs every time you meet? Heck, heck I could oh. just see him, Jody. Remember the old commercials from, you know, Mayor McCheese and all oh, yeah. the other folks from the old McDonald commercials. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> nice, nice. Look, well, so, we have to take one more break um, to hear from our supporters. But when we come back, I definitely also want to wrap up if we've got a couple more conservation story uh, things that you want to talk about, projects or anything. But then I also want to find out what what is happening with California's um, chapters and 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 what's going to go on with a regional director there. So we'll be back in just a minute and finish that up. If you're buying or selling a trophy hunting or fishing property. In the Western US, our friends at St. James Sporting Properties should be your go-to resource. St. James Sporting Properties is more than an elite group of professional ranch brokers. They're also passionate about chasing monster mule deer 
highly successful big game hunters, and avid outdoorsmen. When you combine their passion and expertise in the outdoors with their industry-leading marketing program, you're guaranteed to have a first-class experience. For more information, go to the Supporting Partners page on muledeer.org or give St. James Sporting Properties a call today to buy or sell your dream sporting property. For three generations and over 75 years, Weatherby has remained dedicated to excellence and innovation in producing quality rifles, shotguns, and ammunition. With 15 cartridges and unmatched ballistic superiority, know that nothing shoots flatter, hits harder, or is more accurate. Carry a Weatherby on your hunt of a lifetime and know you can depend on it to get the job done. At Weatherby, we exist to do one thing, inspire the dreams of hunters and shooters. To learn more, visit weatherby.com. All right, so we uh, were hearing a lot more about some of the conservation projects. We had just heard about <laughs> Randy's big Mac attack um, and, and the big game license, uh, the, the funding pro program that you oversee. So I, I don't know, Steve, you were about to talk, and I don't know if you had another question on conservation or if we were going to pivot to the... to the. Uh... Oh, no, yeah. I just wanted to um, pivot to the current wildfire situation. Oh, um, oh that. You know, and... and, and <laughs> You know, we saw a blow up over the last few weeks. You know, here in Montana, we're inundated with smoke right now, and it's from fires in Oregon, Washington. Um, <laughs> hey, I was back. Own, but I was our, back our... east, <laughs> and I had worse worse smoke back east uh, a week and a half ago from the western wildfires than I actually have here in Colorado right now. Though right now we're getting our own, but um, but yeah, it's 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 nationwide. I I just wanted to let Randy explain, you know, how we're going to be moving forward with either post-fire restoration efforts or, you know, pre-fire preventative efforts. We've talked a little bit about the mastication and fire breaks and that, but, you know, we can get, a, there's going to be a lot of emphasis, a lot, probably new legislation at the federal and state level and more funding and, and, you know, just understanding how MDF in particular in region five and in California are going to be working with that. It's pretty important. So Randy. Well, let, and let me put a, a little pause sidebar on that. The new chief of the fire, a forest service was the former um, regional forester for the, for California. Right. So he, he intimately yeah, knows that area. Yes, that is correct. Um, I'm sure that we are going to be, there's going to probably be more money thrown at or money available. That's a better term for uh, fire rehabilitation in the next uh, few years than there is for fuels reduction uh, just because things have burned. We burned so many acres in California in the last couple of years. I mean, over 2 million. Uh, and uh, there is just a, there's a lot of ground out there that, that needs rehabilitation. And what a lot of that rehabilitation is, is there are millions and millions of burned trees that are either standing or have fallen that uh, are inhibiting the ability for reforestation um, plans or even the way if, if you kind of think of uh, the pixie sticks or the pickup sticks um, scenario where you take a bunch of sticks and just drop them on the ground and look at how they're all crisscrossed and jackstrawed. That's what a lot of our forests look like now because of these dead trees that were standing after the fire was put out or went through there. And then as they die and decay, they start to fall down. And many of our roads and trails uh, have been closed in our forests because of the hazard trees along these roads. Um, all of those need to be cleaned out so the folks can get back in and utilize our forests. A lot of those dead trees need to be removed so that uh, reforestation efforts can begin as, as well as um, in areas that haven't burned to do our best to try and create some fire breaks and reduce some of the fuel loads so when fires start, they don't get quite so big. So it's a tall order, tall task, but I think that finally here, in, literally in the last handful of years, uh, the handwriting is on the wall and, and uh, those in, in power understand that this is, this is what we have to do in order to turn things around and get us back on good footing. 
Well, and that reforestation and, and stabilizing soils and things like that's super important. And, and I know you guys have dealt with this, but right now in Colorado, from the big fires that we had last year, and we've been getting, I'm sorry for you guys and thankful for us because we were quite heavy in drought. The Front Range has been getting a lot of monsoonal rains mm-hmm. and have had massive flows of uh, of soil from the sure. burned areas. So if you have to get back in, they, these systems are have been burned so intensely that they're not going to recover on their own in any kind of, uh, of, of realistic time period. So you need to go back in there and, and clean it up, get some more trees, get some more grasses, um, and some of the other shrubs planted, put chow on the ground for deer and other wildlife as well. Absolutely, and it's it's just so much bigger than than one facet. the 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 woody products above ground burn, so there's nothing to eat. Then that destabilizes the soil, so the 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 topsoil uh, flows downhill and becomes a problem uh, because then you lose your topsoil. Then it gets into your water and it ruins your water quality. So it, kills it just fish, keeps yeah. going downhill uh but it affects absolutely everything and those effects can you know not show up for years sometimes i can tell you this jody that you know that that old saying an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure it applies in this situation with forests and habitat work is is it's you know it may seem expensive to masticate commercial thin or commercially harvest trees but it's nowhere near the cost that we're going to have and all of the other damages inflicted when we get these catastrophic fires. And I want to be real careful not to say that all fire is bad. We, we fire is part of the natural ecosystem, but we're out of whack right now. And we're seeing the, the results of that. And, you know, we get asked almost on a weekly basis, whether we want to get into the tree planting business, whether we want to get into the cleaning up roadside decked log business, um, things that are needed to be done, and the direction we've been given from our new CEO, Joel Peterson, and the direction that I put in front of the conservation team is, is we cannot lose sight of why MDF does these things. It's to benefit deer and to benefit the conservation of deer. And, you know, if there are issues out there that, that don't, then they might be better for another entity or another organization to take those on because there's more than enough work to go around. And if we stay focused on deer, stay focused on mission, we're, we're eventually going to have start seeing the fruits of that labor. Um, but shifting gears a little bit, Randy, I mean, it, it was uh, when we look back at the last 18 months and what COVID, uh, everything that COVID changed in our lives, um, there are some things that are thankful for. You know, one of them is, is that it allowed us to incorporate you into the conservation work more because you weren't having events and that led to you know us being able to shift your position from you know the regional director into the conservation staff um a what is mdf doing to backfill behind you and and two what do you miss most um about your old job sure um well to get started with um what we're doing to backfill behind me, we just hired a new regional director to replace me in California, uh, who started July 12th. His name is Kirk Dormady. He has a lot of experience in the conservation world. He was a regional director uh, most recently for the California Deer Association uh, and prior to that for Ducks Unlimited. Um, it, it, his background professionally was in the financial world. Uh, but he, like many others, decided to give back as he got a little bit uh, longer in the tooth, uh, became an RD for Ducks Unlimited, and then went to Caldera and was there for a number of years. And uh, now we are lucky enough to have gotten him on board to help us with our fundraising and our local grassroots uh, volunteer efforts here in California. The thing that I am going to miss the most uh, is the camaraderie and the lifelong friends that I have made with our volunteers, uh, both committee volunteers, chapter committee volunteers, volunteers that have worked out on um, sweat equity projects. Uh, I I won't be seeing as many of them as often as I used to. uh, And uh, that's that's the one thing I'm going to miss. Although uh, 
being where I'm at now, I, I now I'm going to be able to hopefully get uh, some more of them out in the woods uh, doing some sweat equity work on behalf of deer. So uh, all is certainly not lost. It's just uh, a little different perspective, but that's what, I, that's what I'm going to miss the most. Yeah. And, you know, I think you've left uh, Kirk some pretty big shoes to fill. You know, you were pretty big fundraiser for MDF and hopefully he can build on that go places. You know, we always want to make sure our successor successors do a better job than we did. You bet. That's what I, giving I hope, back yeah. and, and, you know, investing into the future is all about, but um, one last thing, Randy, and then we're going to have to probably break it off. Um, we don't just have mule deer in California. We have blacktail deer and then we have, I guess what they call the California deer California, or something like that. Yes. Which, which we, which we in California or most of us in California, we just call them crosses because basically they're a cross between a blacktail and a mule deer. And probably uh, if you took our state and looked at it uh, vertically, probably the Western third of the state or maybe Western quarter of the state is blacktail. The Eastern quarter of the state is mule deer and the half in the middle is they're all crossed up. You can look at a herd of deer and some of them look blacktail, some of them look mule deer and the rest of them look like cross between the two. So, uh, <laughs> well, we'll have to ask Jim Heffelfinger next time we have him on, if that's even possible, but oh, it, I know what you're it saying. It absolutely is. And, and in fact, that's, that, that's really what the California mule deer is, is a hybrid between the two. Uh, and, and how much of a hybrid just depends on how far East or West they happen to be within that zone. Um, well, I know you were successful setting up some chapters that have blacktails in their names. Oh, definitely. And, definitely. you know, my home chapter. Where do you see us? Where do you see us going as the partnership coordinator in the habitat projects on the blacktail deer issue in California? Um, in the in what we call in California the Big Green, which is northwestern California, also known uh, unaffectionately as the Emerald Triangle. Isn't that Bigfoot country? Uh, it's yeah, it's Bigfoot country and it's uh, cannabis country. Um, that is that is some of the best blacktail habitat in the state, and um, it has a lot of a lot of problems and a lot of issues, and it's one that that finally is beginning begun to be tackled by uh, both our federal partners and our state partners, and we plan to be absolutely in the mix of that. A lot of ground in blacktail country is private land, private ranch land. So our abilities to affect change there are limited somewhat, uh, but certainly um, we're, you know, we, we're not, it's not exclusive, but, but we don't have, uh, we don't have quite as much opportunity on private land as we do on public land to affect change. But we definitely are going to be having more opportunities, especially given the uh, million acre fire in the Mendocino National Forest last year. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis being put on uh, what are we going to do with that forest now? And I, I think that there uh, are going to be many opportunities and we're going to be right in the middle of those. Fantastic. Well, we really appreciate your time. I know it's been, um, well, it's been a tough year and a half. I mean, between COVID and dealing with all of those and transitioning and then now how busy things are with this year, tough and, but exhilarating also. I know there's a lot that's been going on and I think you've been having a lot of fun and it's, it's neat to see um, and hear how much you're learning and engaged in all these issues and, and how much you, you know about it now. It's, it's fantastic. So thanks for what you do. I'd like to, what I always try to do is give a, one last chance for any closing thoughts, Steve or, or Randy, if you have anything that we didn't talk about. I, I do. I just want to thank Randy again for stepping up. Um, he doesn't have the background, Jody, that you and I have in natural resources. As a, he sure uh, talked like he did right now. <laughs> well, I mean, he doesn't have the degrees. He doesn't have the college training, but, uh, you know, he has spent um, a lot of time doing this and dedicating his, his life to it. And when we had a vacancy open up, um, you know, when right when Joel was coming on board, you know, uh, you know, we moved pretty quickly to secure Randy because uh, he was the right person for the job at the right time and was one that we felt that were going to take us to new heights and build on the successes that he was inheriting. And I just want to thank him for always being there, always picking up the phone and, you know, over the, the past few months, you know, being able to step up, even if it's way above his comfort zone and performing at a high level. And 
that's reflected in the projects he talked about today. It's reflected in the respect that colleagues of his uh, send on those messages to me. And it's also uh, reflected in his willingness to take MDF to the next level and do whatever's necessary, you know, pulling double duty over the last three months as a, as a regional director and as uh, in the habitat conservation team world uh, was nothing less than short of amazing. And, you know, him stepping up, I, I don't know if everybody could have done it, but I know Randy did it. And um, I want to thank him publicly. He knows I, I, that, that I really appreciated it. And we really look forward to the next steps in California. I think we're on the verge of really, you know, getting, getting a lot more done and, and starting to spill out into other regions with uh, this program that we're building and underneath Joel's leadership to stay focused, think bigger, figure out where we can maximize our input, you know, and, and, you know, be one team on one boat and use all of the resources that MDF brings to the table for the same direction. It's going to be really important. So um, California, there's a lot going on out there. Um, We've only, I know, I think we have nine or 10 active agreements. We talked about three or four of them. You know, Randy's been in all of the discussions and, and helping the decision process made on, you know, really resetting a lot of things. And, and oftentimes when you get a new CEO and you have some staff turnover, it is a good time to reset, reevaluate and re-energize what we're all about. And I think that, uh, we're well on our way. California's leading the way. It's a huge state for us, and, and we're thankful for Randy's commitment to MDF. Well, thank you very much. I it, it's a pleasure. You know, I, I I still always go by the the mantra, and I've done this ever since I started with MDF, and I really truly believe that. And and it's you know if if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? So we just we got to do it, and we got to keep at it. Somebody, somebody has to look after our deer, and if we don't do it, it isn't going to happen. That's that's very true and a wonderful thing to end on because we need people to hear this message, people to get involved with MDF, help us out, uh, see see the great work that we're doing on the ground. So, Randy, thank you so much for your time. It was great hearing from you. Really appreciate all the work that you're doing, and I'm glad we're able to let our, our listeners know more about what's going on out in California. So until next time, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and thank you for talking Mule Deer. Thanks for talking Mule Deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Mule Deer.